to episode 25 of Cinebabble. I am one of your hosts, Ken. This is my other host, Clint. Clint. Hi. There he is. Yeah. (laughs) Hi. I'm here. I'm here with you, Ken. You can tell uh, it's been 25 episodes because we've really worked and refined our opening. Our opening, (laughs) I think, on episode 25 is exactly the same as it was episode one, where it's like, oh, hi. Hey, how? Hi there, Clint. Just being genuine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Clint and I are here with shaggier manes than last week. We are both without haircuts and desperately trying to contain the mess. That's a little bit more normal for me than you. Yeah, a little bit. I have um, a routine of letting, I'll get it cut, let it grow for six months, get it cut. Yeah, you? I'm drifting backwards towards the 90s and it <laughs> petrifies me. I'm I'm uh, just just kind of stilled with fear over this. You, I, but I you don't really, want to go back. You really rocked the Skywalker swoop. I did. I did walk. Walk. You, you walked it. I walked it. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, my my hair used to have this kind of swoop over, and I lovingly referred to it as the Skywalker swoop because it looked like Mark Hamill's hair in uh, A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, shall we never uh, go back to that again? <laughs> yeah, you pulled it off. It was fine. I don't know if that was a pull it off kind of thing. We were going through old photos last night, and I was like, ooh, ah, mm, no, mm, uh-uh, it, was, it was pretty bad. How you doing with Corona, Clint? Uh, not that you have. Clint's oh. not infected. <laughs> How are you doing culturally with Corona, Clint? Well, it's scary. When I on my way over here today, I realized I haven't left the house in a week, oh, and I wow. was in that like mind frame where I'm like, "Can do I know how to drive still?" Yeah. I'm your vacation. You are. I'm your Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> you are. The rides are not as intense. Well, but still know, thrilling. That's okay. <laughs> Space Mountain. So what you watch about this week, Clint? Ken, I'm in like artsy fartsy mode right now. Oh, um, I, I, I thought you were always in artsy fartsy well, mode. More so this week, I guess, just consistently. I uh, was rating Criterion's Ooh, channel. Okay. Um, I watched two really good movies and afterwards realized they're in a very similar theme. The first one I watched was A Man Escaped from 1956. It's a French film um, directed by Robert Bresson. Um, he's very, cons- I think he's considered kind of like a minimalist director. Okay. Um, but the film is about this um, French resistance fighter, a POW, and it's actually based on, uh, a, I think, the writings of this man. just man (laughs) that is minimalist (laughs) yes no andre davini um who yeah the main character i guess is based on him or is loosely based on him but he's in this pow camp um during world war ii and he was a resistance fighter and it's about him escaping this prison okay and it's done in this very there's like very little music in it um it's very kind of matter of fact, and it's more, it's kind of like a how-to almost, hmm. but not in like, uh, it's, it could have almost been clinical, but it's not, it's just him like going through the steps of how he's escaping. Okay. And, it's, and it feels like it was taken from a, like, um, a biography or autobiography. And this but, is Criterion? Yeah. And it was, it's really good. And it's, it's very well shot way that he frames shots it's just so stark and like like just you see the hand the hand is doing this right now and and i don't know it's just it's hard to describe but i've never seen anything quite like it and but it's a very beautiful film and even how clinical it is at moments it's moving and Mm -hmm. 
just the what he has to go through to get out of this. And I really enjoyed it. Okay. Now, with the Criterion channel uh, streaming, do they have everything that's been released on Criterion? I still haven't signed up for this thing, and I need to. They kind of add things and take things away, okay. but they do have a lot more than like is on the main screen if you go okay. to the search bar. Like everything that I think I've searched for, they do end up having. Okay. Maybe it's just not advertised right uh, on the okay. main page. I need to add it on to all the other things I stream anyway. I just, I keep forgetting. Yeah, I'm always finding things. And they do cool things every month where they get even things that aren't Criterion that yeah. are more kind of art house stuff. Like they had um, the Yorgos, the guy who did um, Lobster, is that his name? Yeah. It's something like that. But they got like all his films on there okay. and they did like kind of just a featured um, director kind of okay. different thing. And they'd have like, they had uh like sci-fi post-apocalyptic movies and um but it's just really cool um also i another movie i watched this week which in the kind of the same like theme is another world war ii movie from 1985 called come and see have you ever seen this film i have read so much about this since it went up on because criterion's releasing a a disc version of it yes uh i have never even heard of this movie but suddenly like my internets are just barrage yeah. with with news about this movie and I want to see it very You badly. have to you have to see this film. Okay. This movie I heard it's like, it's a horror film. It's essentially it's a horror film basically, but it's um set during World War II in um uh, Russia, uh, Belarus, Belarus, Belarus. 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 Belarus um and it follows a 15-year-old boy uh Flora who signs up to be, or like kind of enlists to be this resistance fighter. And there's okay. the Russians are coming in and like just destroying all the small villages mm-hmm. in this part of Russia. Belarus. 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 Um, and he signs up to do this and he goes away and he's with this resistance team and then finds out like he goes home and his whole family, the whole town or the whole village is wiped out. And it's just basically him surviving in this like nightmare scape of like desolation. Is it surrealist at all or is it? But the thing is it's hyper realist during like the intense war moments and then it just falls into like complete surreal moments and it's just the music Pan's labyrinth style um no it's not like fantastical okay it's just like it gets dreamy and like the music gets very washed out and ambient and it's just it like kind of follows when a moment of just pure terror and horror at war happens he just like it's just like the mindset of the boy is just like it's he can't comprehend it so it just turns very dreamlike and he's just trying to deal with the very matter-of-fact things and it's just the way it gave me the feeling but even more so than um children of men okay where it just feels like there's people in danger right now like the people like it's so intense and I was reading up a little bit about it and they used real live rounds in moments. Oh. And it's like, because it's, how are they doing this in 1985 where it's like tracer rounds over these people's heads and like they did not have the special effects to do this and like read like, yeah, they used real rounds. Oh, wow. And just everything like that. It's just so horrifying. But this is a German film? It's a Russian. Russian film. Yeah. Okay. And this was the last, it was directed by uh, Elam Kilmov. Um, and he had done some other films, but like they were mainly like, I think they were like comedies and things. Okay. And he did this, um, I think he was in the process of doing it when his wife died in a car accident. 
And he finally, like, he spent eight years trying to get it made because, like, he couldn't get the script approved in Russia because they were kind of saying it was propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, but he eventually did and, like, didn't have to make any changes at all except, I think, the title. Okay. And, but just the, it's it's really horrifying. It's probably, it's, everyone's saying it's one of the best war movies ever, and I totally agree. It's mm-hmm. one of the best horror mo- war movies. I will definitely watch that this yeah. week. It's really good. It gives me a good excuse to get the Criterion streaming. Yeah. And, okay. I highly recommend it. It's it's horrifying, okay. but it's just so well done, and um, it's great. It's I mean, it's horrifying, but it's great. Okay. Yeah. But that's all I've watched. Um, what have you been watching? Uh, about the only thing that I've watched this week, other than what we're going to cover later, is Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul just had its uh, season four finale. Yeah. You, you I, um, excited there. I Well, I finally caught up so I can watch season. It was just season five. This season five. Yeah, I watched season four. <sighs> so now I can watch five. I just okay. finished it this morning. Right. What did you think of season four? I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I, I love this show. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, I do too. Season five, uh, it's been so good that it's been one of those things where I get the feeling the whole time, oh, man, is is this going to disappoint? Is yeah. this going to, you know, end on on kind of a, well, shrug of the shoulders and we'll figure it out next season? Oh, my goodness, this yeah. season. The, the, last, the last entire episode is incredibly suspenseful, even when it's just sitting in a hotel room. Uh, and that's one of the things that Gilligan in the show does so well. Oh, yeah. And he did a, the same thing in Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, characters can be completely oblivious to what's happening, and they're just kind of going about normal life, but you just feel this intense uh, tension. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? You know something's going to happen. And it's right. the old checkoff. You know, here's the gun. What's right. going to happen with it? And oh my goodness, this finale was just constant. You see every little element, and you know it's not going to go the way anybody wants it to go. Right. And it certainly doesn't. And it was just <laughs> this whole season has been fantastic in that regard. And the finale really capped it off. And the only bad thing about the finale is the realization that it's probably going to be two years before we get the sixth and final season. Yeah. Because of production delays and oh, stuff right. like that. Oh, right. I didn't think about that. But their production didn't get delayed at all, so it's not like it ends somewhere it wasn't supposed to. Right. It just uh, – it it definitely moves further and further to connecting to Breaking Bad without feeling as if it's lifting from Breaking mm-hmm. Bad. And I really appreciate that. It still feels like a very different show. Yeah. It just feels like a show that's really come in and grafted into – this this shared story mm-hmm. and you can really see the elements starting to point towards everything uh, that's going to happen in breaking bad almost to the point that i wonder if it's going to overlap in the final season oh, the, really? the final season overlaps with the first season of breaking bad yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all mm-hmm. um i don't think it will completely not very deep into it yeah um, but um it's it's been great mm-hmm. uh, lalo gets introduced at the end of season four correct uh, which character is that? Lalo is the Salamanca. He's kind of the charming guy oh, that yes. comes up. Yeah, he is. Okay. Yeah. He's he's kind of the big bad of season five. I, it seemed and like they were introducing him to be more than what he is in the end of the season, but yeah. I wasn't sure how to take him. Like, he wasn't bad yeah. when he shows up in season four, but he was a little bit too Tuco for me. Mm. Um, and I, I didn't know how that would sustain for a season. They somehow make him, he's, he's the anti-fring. But he is equally menacing, yeah, uh, and and unpredictable, and it's it's almost more unpredictable because at least there's a mythology mm-hmm. or mythology, a methodology, yeah, with Frang, with Lalo, it just it it sometimes feels so impulsive, 
Well, um, there was, I wasn't quite sure about him at first too, mm-hmm. uh, just because mainly I was just like, who is this guy? Cause they mm-hmm. just kind of really drop him in. Mm-hmm. But there's a moment, I don't know if it's the last episode of season four or the next to last or second to last, but there's a moment where he's trying to um, find, is it Will? Um, yes. Yeah. Trying to find him. He's like kind of tailing him around the town and he goes to this like, um, Oh, like a little the, bank yeah, kind of thing. Um, Western Union kind yeah. of place. And he's trying to get information of where he is. And he climbs up in the ceiling. And the way he drops down yeah. is so like predator. Yeah. Like it was terrifying. Did was, you know they did that completely practically? It looked like they did. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a real, Yeah, like they did it. There was a physicality too where yeah. it was like somebody just did that. Yeah. And it, it was like that was the moment where I was like, okay, I'm on board with this yeah. guy and whatever they're going to do. But um, yeah, I really I, they always do really surprising in like things in the show. There's like a lot of ingenuity behind things that all, what got me um, totally invested in Breaking Bad. It's just yeah. like very surprising like, the whole way through, and you're never quite sure. You, it's fun when you kind of pick up what, on what they're doing, yeah. and it's like, oh, that's clever. That's a lot of fun, and I I always enjoy when it p- pays off. Well, you know I hate Rambo Last Blood. You know it. <laughs> you seem I, to like I it. I really hate Rambo Last Blood. Yeah. And the thing I hate most about Rambo Last Blood is those stupid tunnel scenes at the end. <laughs> and I swore that I would never, ever watch a tunnel scene and approve of it again. But yeah, Better Call Saul in this season, <laughs> I, I kid you not, takes that and is amazing yeah it just it's it's not at all the rambo last blood kind of thing but it's just like oh there's a tunnel why is there a tunnel and what are we doing in the tunnel okay mm-hmm. yeah yes i mean <laughs> i can't believe that turned you off completely to just the tunnel it really did it really did it, it created this this bias mm-hmm. in my heart against tunnel scenes huh. but this this fixed it vince oh. gilligan saved it well yeah what sylvester stallone breaks vince gilligan repairs <laughs> You think that was his number one priority? I in think this so. Season? I think he saw Last Blood and he was just like, "No, I can do tunnels better." No, <laughs> this does not sit well with me, and it does not sit well with the cinematic community. And so, I'm going to write this wrong <laughs> for film fans everywhere. I really would like to think that's true. And to that, we say thank you, Vince Gilligan. <laughs> thank you for fixing tunnels. Thank for all you of for us. your service. <laughs> But that's that's all I've been watching. Yeah. I, I have not had time to watch much of anything. But I'm looking forward to now being able to watch season five because I, I always enjoy watching that show. It's just, I don't know why I put it off so long. Right. Yeah, it's good. Well, next there's a little segment I would like to call Pay It Forward. But Clint's not going to put any <laughs> fancy music or anything to this. because I don't know anything about this. Shameless promotion. <laughs> and Clint hates shameless promotion. Uh, if, if you listen to our podcast, you are dear to us. Uh, so bring someone else that is dear to you and pay this podcast forward. <laughs> if you listen, find somebody else to listen. Maybe find two people to listen and tell them to subscribe and check us out. And uh, we'll have a good time. And Clint will stop ripping his face off here in a second. Kevin Spacey's not involved, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I forgot that was a movie. That had Haley Joel Osment yes. too, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Post Sixth Sense. That poor kid. He's doing okay. Is he? Yeah. Okay. The last I saw him, he was in uh, the Kevin Smith flick, Tusk. And I was like, oh, no, Haley, no. Have you been watching What We Do in the Shadows? No. no. I love the movie, but I've just never gotten to the series. You never watched the series? I'm trying, Clint. It's so good, man. There's only so much one person can watch you watching about. Just do it. It'll bring you so much joy. Anyway, 
the second season of that show just started and he pops up in it okay. and he's delightful. Okay. So. All right. Well, maybe that'll get me there. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. It's really good. Okay. Well, pay Cinebabble forward. Find somebody and just be like, hey, stop it. Stop, stop listening and start, start listening. <laughs> All right. Today we covered three movies. Uh, we have Underwater. We have uh, The Wicker Man. And we have a little flick called Windy. We're going to start with Underwater. Uh, Clint, Underwater, uh, <laughs> Disaster Strikes. It does. I love when a plot synopsis yeah. starts with Disaster Strikes. More than six miles below the ocean surface, when water crashes through the walls of a drilling station, led by their captain, the survivors realize their only hope is to walk across the seafloor to reach the main part of the facility. But they soon find themselves in a fight they did not expect. Clint, what did you think of William Eubanks' Underwater? I didn't know it was humanly possible to make such a generic film. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It was so forgettable and generic. It was like they took a blender of really good sci-fi mm -hmm. and um, movies. Alien being a the chief ingredient. Alien. Yeah. Abyss. Yeah. And just blended them all up. Like, here, we got this. Let's just put it up on the screen. Um, I, I think it was fine. It was fine. I didn't regret watching it, but it was the whole time I was just like, I'm fine when this ends. I'm yeah. not in invested. There were, there were moments this movie was magic to me. Really? R moments. Okay. Really. Where, uh, I saw within this very, very generic film, something special that could have been. Yeah. And I don't think they intended, I think this is their peak uh, you know, this is peak vision for this movie. <laughs> right, yeah. But there are certain elements in this movie that if they were spun differently and they were done well and uh, there was more ambition, because it certainly has the budget. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. It, it has a good look to it. It's uh, What I, I, has a good look? Well, I'll get to that. <laughs> okay, because to me it just looked like the ship of Alien. It, it does look like the ship of Alien. I, I enjoyed some of the, the tech design and the suits. And oh, I didn't like the suits. Any time, really? Yeah. Oh, I love the suits. Okay. Oh, Clint. Sorry. I like the suits. <laughs> uh, I like anything big and clunky and and mechanical looking. But, They're yeah. wildly impractical. There's no way they could exist like that. And apparently, um, they couldn't in this movie because <laughs> they were like 140 pounds, and the actors oh could goodness. barely move. That doesn't surprise yeah. me based on the performances in the suits. Mm -hmm. um, the half the casting I thought was very good. The casting was fine. Uh, I'll tell you what was not good about the casting was T.J. Miller. Yes, and his stupid rabbit. And his stupid rabbit and his stupid character and everything that came out of his stupid mouth. Yeah. I really, really desperately wanted that character to die early mm -hmm. and quickly. And he just kept coming. And... um. But yeah, what what did you like? Tell me what you liked, what rose above generic, and then I'll I'll tell you kind of what those moments were for me. I think Kristen Stewart was fine in it. Yeah. Um, I wish she had a little bit more to do that was interesting mm -hmm. because she was just kind of the Ripley stand-in. Yeah. Um, where but they didn't do anything new with it. Like no. I, I completely saw from the beginning, like she's going to be the one. I mean, I mean, obviously she's the main character, but they didn't make it. Even an alien, you don't know if Ripley is going to be the one who survives. It just kind of happens. Yeah. She's not the, really the main character of that film. It's such an ensemble. Yeah. But this, like, it's clear that, okay, she's going to be the survivor or the hero of this. And 
the ensemble, like even though I liked all of the individual actors, like um, Vincent Cassell, I I still didn't. I, they didn't have any. Like I didn't get any sense of who they were yeah. in any way. I so with Alien. I would love to go back and watch Alien before it was a known quantity. Yeah. Because that movie, its first human actor, I believe, is UC Dallas, the character. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine watching that movie, Dallas is the hero. Right. And and you're trained in your brain to think this is the main trained in your brain. (laughs) This is the main character. Yeah. And so when Ripley emerges and Dallas is off halfway through the film or two thirds, that had to be a moment. Mm-hmm. And Ripley became such a, a character, yeah. such an archetype after that, uh, you know, especially with the sequels, mm-hmm. that by the time I got to Alien, I knew Ripley was Ripley. And so I watched Alien in a very different way. Yeah. And I bet it was quite a shock mm-hmm. uh, to see it at first. This does that completely differently. You start on Kristen Stewart. Yeah. She has narration. Ugh. And... <laughs> Uh, it it just it really tunes you into the fact that this is this is who you're watching. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, like I was saying, they like you don't get a sense of any character really. They don't give any kind of clue to who they were before this situation. And other than I would have been okay with that because it's such a large and sprawling station with so many people. If but they, they learned about each other right. as you learned about them. That would have been very interesting. But they already introduced it as they all know each other. Yeah. So it was just like, oh, well, they know each other, but they're so now they're not going to give us any window into this little family that's kind of on this thing. But also the way that they tried to kind of give that a clue that they had a relationship is like things like that stupid rabbit. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, this is like this inside joke that he's taking care of this stuff rabbit and everyone's in on it. It's like, but it's... I hated it because it was such a large facility. And it yeah. even says at the beginning, six or 800 people. Right. I don't care where you work. If there are six or 800 employees, you do not know everybody. You well, I don't... guess depending on how closely you work in that section, like maybe they all understand work together. That. Initially, she yeah. runs into people that she knows, but the further out yeah. you go, yeah, you should the run more into... difficult. The, you know, after the captain, yeah, that that would become less and less of yeah. a thing. Like, it would have yeah, been more. Would know the captain. Yeah, it would have been more fun if Kristen Stewart's character was alone for a little bit more, mm-hmm. and you kind of get a sense of how she sur- like she's capable of surviving this situation, and that kind of would give you a sense of who she was. And then as she's going, it'd be yeah, like she meets people she doesn't know, and then because um, that would kind of give more of a feel that this is a vast like facility. Or on the opposite end, go the abyss route, and you have your small alien crew. Yeah. And they know each other, and right. they're a tight-knit family. Which they kind of tried to do. They tried to do, but, but they just they wanted it both ways. They yeah. wanted the idea that this place was huge and massive and sprawling, and also everybody knows each other. Yeah. And I don't think you can do either one. I think you right. either need to do claustrophobic and family unit, mm-hmm. or you need to do big and sprawling and isolated, even when you're running into people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, almost it, it wouldn't have worked but uh, for this film, but almost that element of I don't know who to trust. I don't know who to rely on. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, anyway, going back to my little diamond in the rough of this, I was I was kind of excited about what this movie when I saw the trailer. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that kind of seems like a fun idea, mm-hmm. um, kind of even though it ended up being just a almost blatantly ripping off. I, I, I thought it'd be fun to do an alien kind mm-hmm. of situation underwater because underwater stuff, that's fun. And there's yeah. not much of it done 
really, I'm probably for practical reasons because it's just a nightmare. Well, every time they went outside of the, it was it was near. It was just so muddy. Yeah. I, I could barely tell what was yeah. happening. And I guess that makes sense because it's the Mariana Trench. It or... makes sense, but it's not cinematically no. interesting. And it's frustrating as a viewer well, to not understand what's happening. And it's also once you're, okay, you're in this dark situation and it's supposed to kind of add this uh, intense um, feeling to what's in the dark because yeah. they're setting up these creatures. Yeah. But then they reveal those pretty quickly and then they're not very interesting. And also they don't really bother you that much. Like they're not like there's large spans in this film where people were just wandering around in the dark in the water and nothing happens to them. Especially so th once it's revealed how many creatures there are. Yeah. Right. And nobody's getting touched other than like a couple instances. But so like really, okay, they're not really interested in people, I guess, because there's thousands of them. And you guys walked from one into this um, facility to the other and didn't get bothered, really. Well, let's go into a spoiler section okay. because this is where kind of my my magic moments are. Okay. Uh, and I again, I do not think this movie had magic moments. I think it had these moments that could have been magic. And it really comes down to, I was not expecting it to be any sort of Lovecraft adaptation or feel. They were going for it and they failed. Oh, yeah. And it disappointed me horribly that they failed because at about, uh, especially at the halfway mark, these creatures could have been so inhuman, especially once you get to the giant Cthulhu Leviathan yeah. thing. It could have been so alien and weird. And you already have set up this side character who's going kind of nuts. I really was hoping but knew it was too generic to do it i was really hoping this was going kind of mountains of madness mm -hmm. people staring into the abyss and losing their minds and you have this main character fighting her sanity because right. the elements are there for half of this film and then you've got the reveal and they do nothing with those elements. I don't think they were interested in that kind of story. No. They were just interested in like a, a creature feature underwater. Yeah. So they were interested in like going into the depths of a person's sanity. Yeah. Um, also, the creatures are so human-like. Yeah. It would have been so much more fun to kind of in, like, I think maybe they did it a bit, but really investigate like animals that live at that depth. That develop it, yeah. And yeah. that would be so much more because the, the things that actually exist down there are more alien yeah. than what they gave us. These are bipeds and they've got arms. Yeah. And why would they have arms? Human-like faces. and Yeah. Uh, or to a degree. And yeah. Then just, like a sucker. It, it didn't make any sense no. why this would exist down there. Right. They're almost that kind form. of like these ghoulish like um, <laughs> aberrations like yeah. floating around like ghosts but it's just like why would that be down there yeah like, it would be so much more fun just like pull from actual nature and make something uh, amalgamation of that yeah. than like what they gave us yeah um, there were just there were certain little uh, quick beats yeah uh, when they're walking through all of these creatures and these creatures are hibernating I'm like this is a stupid scene why are they hibernating yeah uh, and then you realize it's this giant tentacle on the main beast that these are attached to that was just covering the roof and it lifts up. Yeah. There are just these little moments where it's just like, oh, that that could have been right. really interesting. That could have been something. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they just, like you said, they didn't seem interested in it. They didn't seem interested in uh, seeing what happens beyond the fear that shakes you into um, whatever, whatever that state is where mm -hmm. you're just not yourself. 
And what's weird is it, this is another movie, and this is what makes these movies more generic to me than anything, yeah. is when a group of characters come up against creatures or something that defies their uh, existence or their understanding of the world, or and they process it in like two minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's a, yeah, they freak out, but they just start to treat it as if they ran into some new species of shark. Right, right. This is clearly not yeah. some species of shark. And these people should be freaking out about right. this and realizing that this is much more either interspatial or interdimensional or this is weird. Right. This is, you know. Um, well, even if it wasn't interdimensional, if it was just a species that we have not discovered Mm -hmm. there will be a lot more awe and like fascination behind it than what they give you because like they get the clearly alien scene where they're kind of doing a autopsy of the one on the table the baby one and they're just like oh this is a new species yeah and it's just so matter of fact and they're not really curious about it and and then like you would (laughs) i don't know i think there would just be a lot more emotion behind what they were up against? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so what are some other moments of yours that were? So early on, well, later on, you find out more about Kristen Stewart's character. Mm-hmm. And they really try to shoehorn in a character arc for her and a motivation for her in this whole uh, yeah. self-sacrificing uh, storyline. And none of it pays off. No, And it's so... It's so rare that a movie introduces key character elements later in a film that it pays off. Right, You've got to introduce that early and watch somebody really struggle with something before any sort of sacrifice means anything. Yeah. Um, There were hints when the captain accidentally refers to his daughter's 14. Yeah. And she points out that your daughter's like 28. And then she finds the thing that shows that his daughter had died years and years ago at 14 and he had just never told anybody. Yeah. That kind of stuff... That that was this little nugget of gold to me, which yeah. is, oh, if they had really played with that. Right. Uh, not after his death, but mm-hmm. if she had found this out before and they just have this real human moment between yeah. the two of them. Uh, like take 10 minutes of that T.J. Miller nonsense, <laughs> toss it, and, and give me moments between these characters that make me actually care about right. who makes it to the escape pods at the end. Yeah. And that she, you know, wants to send everybody else up. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, this is not a, a diamond in the rough moment, but the absolute most generic moment, <laughs> the absolute most generic moment was at the very end when the pods are going up yeah. and the little sensor shows surprisingly accurate representations of these creatures uh, yeah, going right. after the pods. Right. And it just happens to be in the blast radius. <laughs> Of so so you have this massive station and you want to you know trigger a self destruct I get it but one person a mechanical engineer can just waltz into the core of this multi trillion dollar facility punch a few buttons and in one minute destroy the entire f- are you kidding me mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's stuff like that and there were moments like that throughout the film where it just Come on. This is for a movie scene. Yeah. There wasn't like something where it's like the double key, no. like the self-destruct. It was just like yeah. you could accidentally stumble doop, upon doop, doop, doop. it. <laughs> hey, lean, you le- Make the world explode. <laughs> you okay. lean on the keyboard a little bit wrong and it's like, oh, crap. Yeah. Self-destruct mode initiated. Yeah. Um, so there, there, just, there were things in this and I, I think you kind of hit it. I don't think they were interested in making that movie. I think they were interested in making an, an alien 
Well, even feeling so film. like the movie, I don't know if this movie stands up. I remember enjoying it at that time, but Pitch Black. Mm-hmm. Pitch would, Black does stand up. Where that was kind of almost the same kind of situation, mm-hmm. but I feel like they really played with every angle of that was you could play with in that situation. And and this like didn't really have any interest in uh, rather than just they're almost like punching a card like okay we got to do this now we got to do this like i feel like it didn't explore any angle that could be interesting well and in in pitch black the aliens were kind of the third tier element of the film the right. second tier element was survival but the first tier element was this riddick and the cop right and this idea of can we trust riddick can we not trust riddick it was this very human drama yeah then a survival drama then a oh and there just happens to be these creatures on this planet mm-hmm. um well, that, yeah, that led a lot of room for that character to evolve because, yeah. like, he's, I mean, this murderer or whatever his situation was and, like, becomes trusted by the end of it be- to get them out of this situation. And it could have easily done a little bit more of that in this yeah. where you have pre-notions of who these characters are and throughout the situations it, it changes and you yeah. kind of learn more. And yeah. like you were saying with, like, Vincent Castell's, Castell's character – that was interesting. To like, I at that moment I did find interesting where you find out he, his daughter, um, had died and he's been just kind of hiding it. And to find that out earlier would have been way more human and kind of given some character moments. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, yeah. But, it doesn't have to be cheesy, but give no. me some moments where he's looking at a picture of his daughter early on. So by the time you get that reveal, you feel it. It's not just some mention of oh, I'm. You know, I thought I said 14 instead of whatever. Well, yeah, even just playing that moment, like where she finds the like kind of um, death, the little funeral funeral card. card. Yeah, like earlier. And so then, yeah, he's not dead and you can't really do anything about it. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm not upset that I watched it at all. No. It uh, it just it, it was very generic and it was frustrating because it would come so close. Yeah, uh, to where I wanted it to go. It wouldn't come so close to being that thing, but it would come close to where I wanted it to go. Mm. And, uh, you know, even if it had still had those generic elements, but like an Event Horizon, which has those generic elements, had tried to uh, do something bigger and weirder, I would have appreciated that. I want to ask you a question. So you think kind of in, in it's slightly futuristic. Mm-hmm. Um, in this world, they can't make suits, diving suits, where you can wear your pants? No. no. You definitely have to disrobe. <laughs> you and, have to uh, le- be in your underwear you running to, They even make a dialogue yeah. point of that. Uh, and really, you know. You know it's just so Kristen Stewart is running around yeah. the last third of this movie. Mm-hmm. It just They just really want to Ripley it up yeah. and just have her running. Yep. And that's all it is. It's one giant Ripley yeah. nod. I, I have no problem with it, but I mean, <laughs> if she wants to be in her underwear running around, but it's I mean, I'm just not like, like offended. It just it no. felt it felt like it didn't have a story well, it, point attached. It felt to it. like it was just intentionally done for the reason of that. Yeah, and that's the thing where it's engineered. Like yeah. that is frustrating. I've I've argued before because I've heard somebody say that moment in Alien is very dated because it's it's gratuitous when uh, Ripley kind of strips down. I don't think so at all. Yeah. Because it's this point, it's it's another element where she feels safe. Yeah. She has escaped. Right. She is, she she's doesn't go have into... armor, but she's taking off her armor. She's going to go into hypersleep. Yeah. 
and she's safe. She's, right. she's at peace, and she doesn't have to worry about what beastie is around. It's sort of, uh, in a weird way, like Die Hard right. when he takes his shoes off and things like that, and then he's stuck without his shoes. You just yeah. get a higher feeling of vulnerability with this character. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't find that gratuitous at all. This felt... right. I, we just want this character yeah. running around in less clothing. Yeah, I, I don't care if people are naked in movies or anything, but it's just when it feels so engineered for the purpose of like, we're going to, you can't wear pants in the suit, so we can just see your butt. I don't know. Uh, it's totally forgettable film. Yeah. Okay. I'm fine. I'm glad I didn't see it in the theater. Yeah, I am too. Maybe it would have been better. I don't. I don't think so. You don't see think seeing it on the big screen maybe would have added a little bit. I think it would have made it feel more generic. Probably. Yeah. I think it would have made it, it feel more like a Transformers film. Or, I, uh, I think you're right. I think it would have brought a lot more attention to the effects because the effects aren't very good in it. Um, so you would be seeing that blown up and yeah. just this would, uh, yeah. Yeah, I would have studied the, the creature design yeah. more and been more disappointed. And Right. Uh, I don't know. I like the suits, but maybe I would have hated them if I would have really paid attention. Tell me what you like. You just like it because I like them because they felt very Sid Meier. Yeah, they felt very, um, you know, his his sketch work and, and yeah. his sci-fi designs. I love that just clunky. I think I recognize that too much in it that mm-hmm. this was pulling from like everything gotcha. else in the film. That this is pulling from so many other influences yeah. that they didn't. There was like we're going to be like that. We're not going to really put our own stamp on it. Yeah. Maybe that's why I just wasn't into it. I don't know if underwater taught me anything. It's you can survive a really, really, really long time without oxygen underwater, apparently. <laughs> they <laughs> have like some kind of special futuristic oxygen. They have futuristic oxygen, but even when it's busted, you just kind of fall asleep and they just, you know, you're still okay. Yeah. I guess. No you can, brain yeah, you just go to sleep for a little while. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> our next movie is uh, Ben Zietlin's uh, Wendy. And Wendy is an adaptation of the Peter Pan story. Yeah. A sometimes very loose, sometimes weirdly uh, faithful mm-hmm. adaptation of the Peter Pan story. Uh, and it's just, it's about this girl, Wendy, that she's lost on a mysterious island and she's fighting to save her family, her freedom, and the joyous spirit of youth, says the plot synopsis. Clint, <laughs> uh, critics did not enjoy Wendy. No, what, they did what not. Says you? I, what says what's, you? What says you? What says <laughs> you? What says you, Clint? There's a there's an old timey saying I was going for and I, I didn't yeah. get it right. What's the... What say you, Clint? What, oh, what say, say you? <laughs> you were see you had one ass yeah. and you sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you were so close. I know, I'm so close. Just like underwater, so close. so close. All right. It was anyway. What say you, Clint? I liked it. I did like it. I had fun with it. Um, I think it was very surprising to see that it had such a poor review, and I think it. Yeah. Um, I think it was probably a lot of expectation people had because. Beast was so well re- re- like regarded, yeah. um, and it took eight years for the ne- this one to come out afterwards. So people probably were expecting a lot. Um, I think it was kind of really fell in line with what he did with Beast of the Southern Wild. So I I I was pretty satisfied with it. I think I would enjoy. It. I need to watch it again because I think I would enjoy it more. Yeah. I think a lot of I had expectations too, yeah. just for knowing the um, Peter Pan story. So just the things that they would touch on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot that choices that were made with retelling that story that surprised me. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, I did enjoy it and uh, maybe not quite as much as Beasts, but I, I was pretty satisfied with it. This movie reminded me the whole time of Paper House, which we had oh, reviewed yeah. 
a couple of weeks back right. when we were doing our episode about 1988. Mm-hmm. And it it had that vibe, but I, I thought it was very successful. I, I was kind of confounded the whole time. It, it kept distracting me why people had such I a negative had the same reaction feeling, to this. Yeah. And I kept trying to turn that off. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at it, and it doesn't all work. It doesn't right. all hit. But there's some really inventive and creative stuff in this. Yeah. And there's some moments where they they take an element from the Peter Pan story and they really do something interesting with yeah. it. And I, I just found myself respecting the movie the whole time for it. Whether one of those elements was really successful at yeah. worst, it would just kind of like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, but it wouldn't it wouldn't ruin anything or drag anything down. Mm-hmm. I just I I liked what it had to say about childhood and aging and trying to hold on to childhood versus letting go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it it felt it felt very true to life right. for such a fantastical mm-hmm. film. Yeah, I think I um I was kind of playing the story so much in my head the real one so i was putting the pieces together what he's pulling from and what Mm -hmm. he's how he's twisting it that i was kind of playing catch up the whole time and i wasn't disappointed by anything he changed but it was just felt like i like i said i think i would enjoy it more watching it again now knowing where it goes Mm -hmm. at first i the the um i wasn't quite sure how i felt about how he was dealing with like the story of growing up and it felt a little cliche mm-hmm. to because it's so obviously such a part of Peter Pan that mm-hmm. it's like you're just kind of really bringing it to the forefront mm-hmm. and just stating it so matter of factly. But if you kind of really take it away from the Peter Pan aspect of it, which he takes it very far and you're just like looking at it as this normal little girl, Wendy, is really struggling with growing up and what that means and like dreams changing and all that. Especially at nine. Right. right before you're about to go into that pre-adolescence phase. Right. Like that would be something that you're really struggling yeah. with and just like really trying to wrap your head around growing yeah. up. So if you kind of like the Peter Pan's things happening around this character and it just happens to be that she's Wendy in the story it 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 feels real and true it's just i think it's just just such a part of the normal story it's um i was thrown off a little bit like just that, just how matter of fact it was yeah. being put out there but i think it's true to who that character was yeah it's one i want to watch again i wish i could watch this through eyes that had no idea or no knowledge of the peter pan right, story right right I think this would be much more like Beasts, yeah, than uh, the way my my mind processed mm-hmm. it because I was I was so busy looking at how it adapted, yeah, and, and what the little tricks of the trade were mm-hmm. that it pulled away from those moments like you're talking about. It made I think those moments I think those moments feel more cliche because right. they're so true to Peter Pan, right. Than they actually are. Yeah. I think divorced from that adaptation, you wouldn't notice it in that way. Right. It would feel yeah. very authentically yeah. nine-year-old girl. Right. And I, I appreciate it. I think from the filmmaker's perspective, they were able to pull away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's harder to do on a first watch kind of thing. Yeah. Also, I, I think it was a beautifully oh, looking film. Like It, it was like gorgeous. Terrence Malick in Fantasyland. It was and, gorgeous. I think all the kids were really good too. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the same thing with like beasts where they're non-actors mm-hmm. and it just, and he's writing to their strengths. Like, I think that was part of the reason it took so long is because he's 
rewriting. It took two years to rewrite because he finally found all the actors and then he's got a, he's writing to these kids and their strengths and what they can do and who their personalities are. And I think that really benefits from that mm-hmm. to kind of work to, I don't know what they can do and can't do. And it's, I, it's amazing what they do in this film. Yeah. Like it feels almost in moments like child endangerment. Yeah. And I'm sure there was a lot of tricks to make it look that way, but they pulled it off really well. Well, and there's there's little elements, the way that that she goes to Neverland yeah. or, or where you know this island, mm-hmm. just the idea of, of following this boy on a train mm-hmm. is so much more thrilling and dangerous. Yeah. Than oh, there's somebody flying at my window. Right. There's clear magic here. I want to go on this adventure. This felt much more. I need to get away from my my current situation. I need to just get out and escape. And there were moments like that where it really lured you in mm-hmm. to the fantasy elements, almost to the point I didn't think there was going to be many fantasy elements right. at first. Yeah. And suddenly when there are, oh, wow, okay, yeah. we're, we're doing – both things, yeah, we're, we're going both ways, and I, I appreciated that. Yeah, Beast did that too. So yeah. I think I was, ex- I the moments where I was like, I was a little disappointed that they didn't do more, mm-hmm. like the flying. Like I wish, like that scene. I wish that yeah. was actually a blatant like flying scene. But yeah. also then I was like, well, that wouldn't be with what they're really grounding in this. It, I, I, I appreciate that they didn't go for it that way because I like the things that they did do because it was more inventive and kind of interesting than like kid flying across the sky. It felt more, I don't know, humanly magic, yeah. like like the idea of you age rapidly. Yeah, um, yeah, the aging and then mother, mother uh, are are the most yeah. I think fantastical elements of this. And like the island is kind of alive yeah. in this way and uh mother's the heart of it i guess but i i also really enjoy going back to um her situation at home mm-hmm. i really like that her mother was a good mother yeah. like she was a kind person and it wasn't like she's trying to flee this horrible situation she's in i like that it was just kind of like she wants to find her own place in the world even though she has this kind of home that's a safe kind of little harbor to be at. And normally at nine, you wouldn't have the opportunity to pursue that kind of right. independence or that experience. Yeah. But this just happens to present that to her. Right. But she's not running away from an abusive situation. No, she's no. not running away from something terrible. She's just running away from these childhood fears of who am I and what am I in these in these very kind of pre-adolescent yeah. stages. I really like, yeah, like that kind of stuff. I like that you could easily want to, I think a different director would want to do the Joker treatment for yeah. this and make it a dark fantasy yeah. tale. And I like that it's just a real true to life yep. fantasy tale and it takes place in the real world, but it's not overly dark. It's just like, I don't know, truer to human existence. Yeah. And um, I By the end of it, I thought this was thematically a much more uh, faithful and, and uh, fascinating adaptation of the Peter Pan story than probably any of the other ones I've seen. Really? Uh, even though it went much further out in left field, yeah, I felt like it captured the imagination and wonder yeah. in, in a lot of ways better than the, the very fantasy-driven Peter Pan adaptations right. have because those become so storybook. Mm-hmm. And this one still always felt like these kids are real kids. Yeah. And they're just being injected into this increasingly fantasy world, but they're still real kids. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and this world doesn't change them. Hook, which I, I love dearly. Yeah. I love Hook. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't care what anybody says about I, it. I did too. I, I mean, love Hook. Yeah. And the thing that really works for me in Hook is with all of the different fantasy mm-hmm. bits in that those kids are so genuinely uh, afraid or forgetting or being torn between what life is and what Hook is presenting life to be. Right. Uh, that so grounds that movie mm-hmm. for me and makes it very, very emotional. This did that exact same thing where mm-hmm. the kids were such a grounding force uh, and and so believable in my mind right. that it made everything else resonate mm-hmm. and it lifted everything around the film. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's bold for a fantasy film because usually what you see with fantasy films uh, or – anything like underwater <laughs> is here's all the the fantastical elements and that's what's going to lift the characters right instead of here are the characters and let's let that lift the story yeah i feel like they were on like the characters were so strong in the in the fantasy elements like they kind of buoyed each yeah. other yeah. like where like the, there was moments of just pure character driven um moments and then there's the fantasy coming in mm. where like but it's it never really rises above the character it kind of they kind of feed off each other well and the the imaginative elements are it's almost like they're invasive they're trying to invade yeah this real story of this real girl and she's having to deal with that mm-hmm. uh, which while in in the inverse it it's very much what childhood is when you're growing up and you're having to let go of or push away the the more imaginative dreams and things like that mm-hmm. to accept what what is and this really played with that yeah i i i also i liked what they did with hook yeah i think that was a really fun idea yeah that you i was kind of like trying to wrap my head exactly around what initiated that i guess it's like the the separation from his brother and what did that mean to you, really? I I think it was it was the suggestion that what goes on in the heart is what actually ages you. Uh huh. It kind of like forced him to grow up in a yes. way. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why you have other elements where it's the hand withering, yeah, the hand aging because. Uh, what's what are hands capable of? Hands are capable of violence, and hands are these things that you can act out with and and commit awful things with, and so. The idea of the hand aging faster than the rest of the body. Like letting a, go? Yes. Form, it, was, like, it was a very strange yeah. and dark uh, way of looking at that. And and I was just, I was fully on board with all that. I had no idea where it was going. Yeah. And, uh, but but I enjoyed how it how it was kind of wrapping its its filmic head around all of that. Right. It felt like a very, I don't know, it was a very fun origin story yeah. Yeah. in a very like very naturalistic kind of way. Yeah. It was just like, oh, I wasn't expecting that to happen. I thought was, they would run into a hook character. Right, right. You but know, I, didn't I didn't expect it kind of come from within. Yeah. 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 That was a really fun way to do that. I appreciated that. So yeah, I I enjoyed this <laughs> intensely more than underwater. Oh yeah. And I watched underwater first. So so there's a little bit of me that kind of holds the the reservation that maybe underwater felt so generic that I was more primed to enjoy this, but I don't, I don't think so. I think I would have I think I would have felt the same way about this no matter. I think so. I it, there's a lot it. of inventiveness and like actual solid like vision behind yeah. this that I think either way you would have yeah. seen that. Well, when we watched Gretel and Hansel, yeah. uh, that was something I really wanted from it was 
sometimes I don't need a movie to just nail every single thing perfectly. Right. I just need to be taken somewhere and I need to be engaged at a level where I'm thinking mm-hmm. and I'm trying to to piece things together, figure out what it's going to do next. And I, I enjoy that. I enjoy when I feel like I'm beholden to the director, not vice versa. Yeah. I, I hate when I feel like the director is making a movie for me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so much more interested when it's like, all right, give me your art and what have you got and what's different about what you right. do yeah. and the story you want to tell the way you want to tell it. Yeah. Um, sink or swim, That's I'm, I'm much more down for that that kind of experience. Right. I think it's strange that in this, like the mother character feels more inventive and alien than the creatures <laughs> yep. in underwater yep. Yep. like that i was trying to wrap my head around exactly what it was pulling from and like it was things in nature yeah but it was it was so it was so foreign that it, it, it was fun to trying to like piece together oh what the, what's the face of this what's the yeah it was i don't know it was well, it felt fantastical but also real world and and if you ever want to get me really literary nerding yeah uh have me talk and and don't do it here because it'll take too long. <laughs> um, but the the lack of religion in the Peter Pan story mm-hmm. and and I really think that that's what this is playing off of. There have been people that have written enormous amounts of uh, of uh, analysis on how once the kids get to Neverland in the original story, there are things that you would take for granted. You would think that J.M. Barry would have written in religion and politics and these sorts of things. But he does the opposite. Mm. And I really think that that's what this is drawing from with Mother. It's the idea that it's the, it's not godless. It's just uh, these kids aren't interested in higher theology and higher. They're too uh, young to really wrap their yeah. head around that idea. And, and so it's, it's this very kind of kid version of what those ideas would manifest as. Yeah. Especially with Peter, he's kind of been motherless. Yeah. Like he kind of imprints that on her yep. or it. And um, so that becomes his makeshift mother. And I, I like that. I was, I like the kind of combination of it being Tinkerbell and the mermaids. And mm-hmm. it kind of, it was a stand-in for that. And But it had more to it than they did. They weren't just like these fantastical yeah. creatures. This thing was like the heart of, of mm-hmm. this island and... I thought it was fun what they did with that. And it, it wouldn't have worked at all. I did miss the the Tinkerbell element. Oh, that's, did you? That's a fun and weirdly violent element of the original story. Because uh-huh. um, Tinkerbell's this little murderous beastie. Yeah. And I, I wish there was a way uh, that that could have been there. But at the same time, I cannot in my mind of minds <laughs> figure out how that could have worked in this movie. Uh-huh. And so on, on that note, I was happy to see that while there were these things they were grabbing from the original story and playing with, they were also very smart about what they cut and what they didn't try. And I bet uh, their production offices were littered with ideas and art and things they could have done, but that they very wisely trimmed down to the the bare essentials. Yeah, Ben Zeitlin and I think his sister, like they've been, they were obsessed with the Peter Pan story since Mm -hmm. they've been kids. So I think they've been like mulling this around Mm -hmm. just since then. So I'm sure they've just like been workshopping it for years. You can really feel when a movie comes from that place. Right. Whether, again, whether a movie is a success or failure, whether you respond to it or not, you can still feel when this is an idea that's been ruminating 
for a while. I, going back to right. Cradle and Hansel, that's what I felt coming out of that. That was just an idea somebody had last year. Right. That's That did not feel, and maybe it was, but that did not feel like a film that's been growing in somebody's heart and mind for 10 years. Right. Well, that like that movie and other things like that, you can tell they're just more excited about the look yeah. and the um, gloss of it rather than like the heart of it like this clearly was. This has a cohesion. Yes. And that cohesion comes from really having an idea. You're, you're either able to have a quick idea and really you're just a master at executing it. Right. Or that idea has been in there so long and it's gone through so many rewrites before you've even written it down. Mm-hmm. That by the time it comes out, it it's just really refined. Right. Yeah. I, well, I mean, something someone like Paul Thomas Anderson, like yeah. every single one of his feels like something that he's been ruminating on for yeah. years because they're all kind of a, similar themes. Yeah. But you can tell that and that's probably what gives the cohesion. But yeah. he's so good at like making that feeling where it's not just – I came up with this a year and a half ago. And there are there there are just master master crafts. Right, right. You know, just like in any field. There there are people that can do that quicker. Yeah. Um, I'm sure maybe this uh, Ben is might be similar. It just takes him with his method behind like working with actors and everything. It just takes longer. So it's I don't know. I don't think it really matters how long yeah. it takes to um do it. It's just a matter of crossing that finish. But line. even with somebody like Paul Thomas Anderson, there will be blood feels like a passion project for i mean all of them do they they do to a degree um some of them maybe the word is just more personal right that one that one feels like it's dealing with things that are more personal to him the same thing with the master yeah and it's it's not that his other movies don't have that it just the personal elements in some of his films or or in any filmmaker's films you can feel that this is more important to them than maybe the themes they're dealing with in this movie or this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't make it a lesser or a better movie. You can just, there's that sense of this person is really pouring something a little bit extra into this. Right. It's like when you get sweet tea and it's really sugary. Mm. <laughs> and you can only have half a glass because it doesn't give you diabetes. Just, yeah, the straw stands straight yeah. up. <laughs> so underwater, super generic. Uh, yeah, sure. Go for it. Uh, Wendy, definitely worthy of, of more time. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe it's what 37% I'm shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm shocked. And the audience reaction is better, but it, even the audience score is like 60% compared to the critics 35. And I, I just, sometimes I, I don't get it. Yeah. I, I was a critic, so I totally understand the, the critical mindset and sphere, but when everybody sort of rallies around not liking a movie that has some some good stuff to it. I, you think it's the whole, his kind of his whole aesthetic approach to it. It's very like arms in the air, bombastic music. It's just very. It's kind of hard on the sleeve on your sleeve. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe a lot of people can't deal with that. Maybe it's kind of the same thing with like Wes Anderson, where you're just it's too sugary in some way. It's, maybe. It's it's like uh, this couple of critics on here. One of them says that the directors create a land you never want to visit in Neverland. Yeah, I saw that That's too. I, yeah, kind of the point is that this place isn't, you know, fully what it's cracked up to be. Right. It's, it's not all 
uh, unicorns and rainbows. Yeah, it's volatile. It's, I mean, you're on an active volcano. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, Boston Globe says, Beware the dream project an artist has carried in his head for too long. He may well have lost all distance on it. And it just, you know, that's, I, I can understand that, that feeling of, I could see somebody reacting to this as being pretentious or a mm-hmm. uh, little you know, absorbed in its own art. I didn't feel that way, but I, I guess I get it. And then a lot of people are just kind of uh, either talking about comparisons to beasts and yeah. not letting this film stand on its own or are uh, talking about how it just feels like a, a lesser ter- Terrence Malick film. Mm. Um, I think there's enough to differentiate I him from too. Malick. I don't know. The way he deals with characters and they're just completely different. Yeah. Uh, well, I I enjoyed it. I look forward to watching it again. Yeah. And I'm curious how my second viewing goes. I think, I, I'll, I think un- it'll improve. Me too. I think for, so for sure. Yeah. All right. Our uh, third and final movie is the classic, not the Nicolas Cage, but the classic <laughs> 1973 uh, horror mystery, The Wicker Man. And The Wicker Man, if you've never seen it, is about uh, a sergeant who arrives on the small Scottish island of Summer Isle. Uh, notice that summer is spelled S-U-M-M-E-R. Therefore, it is pronounced summer. Summer Isle to investigate the report of a missing child. Uh, he's a... Don't shake your head at me. Okay. I'll if I want. S-U-M-M-E-R is a very different word than S-O-M-M-A-R. He's well, a conservative... Just tell that to... <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Uh, a conservative Christian, the policeman observes the resident's frivolous sexual displays and strange pagan rituals, uh, particularly the temptations of the daughter of the island magistrate. Uh, but the more he learns about the islander's strange practices, the more nefarious they become. And as he gets closer and closer to tracking down this missing child, Clint, what did you think of the now 45, 47-year-old Wicker Man? Well, I had never seen it before. Can't believe you never watched this movie. Well, it's probably because I saw the Nicolas Cage one first. Probably. And I'm just like, I'm not gonna <laughs> even bother. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I did really enjoy it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of things I did not expect from it. Yeah. There's so much music in this thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much, it's almost like an album, like just played to a horror film yeah. where many song and dance numbers. It, it feels a little 70s concept album. Yeah. 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 Um, what I thought it was really fun in that way. Um, also, there's a strange amount. I don't know why I th- it was not a strange amount of nudity in this film. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of 70s just... Yeah. Every time I go back to a 70s movie and it has a lot of that, though, yeah. I'm surprised as if there wasn't a sexual revolution in the 60s. Yeah. I I lose track of the timeline there. And I, I still think like, oh, film was, was very prudish in the 70s. No, no. Yeah. Well, I think I was also thrown off because it was British. So I just didn't really, I don't know. I feel I... You're double biased. Well, I felt like they're <laughs> even more pr- like yeah. <laughs> prudish. Yeah. Traditionally, they are. Yeah. But I mean, I guess in the 70s, I don't know. I didn't have a problem with it, but it was just like, oh, there was a lot more uh, than I was expecting. Um, but it was it was fun. I, I enjoyed the main character, um, Edward, Edward, Edward Sergeant Howie. Yeah. I liked that it was kind of this idea of um, he's this very just conservative Christian going into this 
a community of pagans and him just like not being able to wrap his head around it or just refusing to acknowledge that this is, should be happening. So well, that was that's fun. What's, that's what gives the movie a lot of its early momentum is because he's the one that's in authority. He's coming in as the right. authority figure, but he very quickly is starting to realize like, I'm, I'm not the one in charge here. And he fights against that for yeah. a big part of the movie. He wants to to retain kind of the norms of the world. I'm the one in charge. Right, right. And they I'm don't the acknowledge that. that. <laughs> yeah. And and they're just like, yeah, that's cute. Yeah. Uh, even, yeah. Yeah. Like Christopher Lee's Lord Summer. Uh, Can I tell you that I did not know that was Christopher Lee. Really? Until after. He looks so different than oh, he does wow. now. Yeah. That I didn't. I After until I was like kind of making my notes, I was like, oh, that was Christopher Lee. Yeah. I, I did not know at all. Yeah. And see, I've, I've seen enough of him when he was young. Oh, I uh, haven't. That when I revisited this, I, I had forgotten he was in it. But I was like, oh, yeah, Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he was he was not Dooku forever. So. <laughs> you know, I mean, of of all the movies that Christopher Lee has done, I I think we can both agree that the absolute pinnacle it's of Count Dooku? his uh, his you know, filmmaking canon uh, definitely Count Dooku mm-hmm. in Star Wars Episode Two, uh, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he he. Yeah. Probably can live happily after knowing he did that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he passed away though, so he's oh. definitely not living. <laughs> well, after I mean, after he would after com- life, looking back, like no, a, I mean after he completed so that role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yeah, the, the that feeling of isolation, and and he's surrounded by all these people, but he's completely out of his depth. So much so that he walks right into by the end what he should have spotted coming a mile off. He should right. have gotten out of Dodge and gone for reinforcements long before this. Right, right. Well, I, it kind of makes sense with, like, it feels like almost I, this idyllic little community. Yeah. So I could see him, like, kind of going in, not thinking he needs any of that, like yeah. a backup or anything. And he just kind of thinks he can handle the situation. And yeah. even to the end, like, because nobody other than the mystery that he can't figure out where this girl is and they're lying to him, yeah. they, there's no, like ominous moment where you feel like he's in danger. Yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, we're just doing our thing. They, you think he's just going to observe this mounting religious zeal. Right. Uh, you don't get the idea that he's going to be dragged into it until they're physically grabbing him. and Right. Because the entire time he still kind of thinks he has the authority yeah. on the law and the spiritual because he believes he's in the complete right with his religious beliefs of Christianity. Yeah. And he can't think outside that like, oh, there's this community and they have, I mean, a religion that's probably even older than Christianity. He can't even wrap his head around that. Maybe he's the minority in this situation. When I was reading old, old interviews with uh, the director, Robin Hardy, and mm-hmm. one of the writers, David Penner, and they're they're both talking about the idea of uh, the story where Jesus is tempted three times, uh-huh. and in one of them, it's it's throw yourself off the temple, God will save you, and the response is uh, about how you know don't don't tempt God because essentially he'll just let you splat, uh-huh. uh, and it's it's this same thing. This this guy has been built up in this idea that. Uh, I'm I'm on the righteous path, mm-hmm. so if anything comes against me, I'm good. I'm protected. Right. Snake, you know, snake handlers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not so. Not so. Right. Um, because you're you're walking into and you know freeing wisdom in favor of 
just blind faith. Right, right. And that quickly leads people into into hot water. And mm-hmm. so I, I was surprised reading these interviews. It's it's there after I read them. I'm right. like, oh my goodness, yeah, that is a really prevailing theme in this. But I had never noticed it to that level before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I I guess I haven't said I I enjoyed it. Uh there's some there's some dated elements in it. There's um I'm I'm not sure where I fall in the music. It's very 70s. Oh yeah. And it's delightfully 70s. Right. That's why I liked um, it because it was just it was such like a time capsule. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost off-putting to you're going into what you're expecting is this horror movie yeah. and it's like this <laughs> these weird little like Irish folk songs. Yeah. Um, that because yeah, it borders on musical at times. It is. It is yeah. like there's a whole musical number yeah. in like where he's getting magically seduced in a hotel room by a, a twerking character yeah. um, that I was not expecting, yeah. and it's just it's just like almost it's so bizarre when especially since I've never seen it, just going in thinking it's going to be this horror movie. I mean, it is a horror movie, yeah. thriller horror movie, but it's just. I mean, it's just playing into that this is kind of this idyllic little community that happens to be worshiping like pagan gods. Now, clearly, this is an influence on Midsummer. Uh, <laughs> I'll spare you the pain. I'll inflict it Do on Do whatever myself. you want. Uh, clearly, this was an inspiration on Midsommar. Uh, did this... No, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> did, this, did this change... Uh, how you thought of that? Do you do you think there were elements in in that film that drew too much from this, or do you think that this is that was kind of a a natural forty five years later uh, progression of of this idea? Because think, there's a lot of similarities. I think just the idea is really the only thing that I see as being. I mean, it, that movie is so different in yeah. so many other ways that like just going into a community like that never hides that what they're doing. Yeah. This is what they're hiding at the entire time and they're or like we're just secretly kind of doing like happen to be doing that that community in Midsummer is yes. no. Midsummer <laughs> is so blatantly like founded on this these pagan yeah. rituals and ideas. Well, and uh, you get death and murder right up front. Right. Uh, pretty that, close to right up front. Very close. Yeah. And I mean, it's all based like psychedelics and everything. It's so far outside of like this where we're just normal people who happen to be worshiping and doing these rituals. Wicker Man is much more Rosemary's Baby. Yes. Where by the end of it, you realize, oh, there's this plot afoot. And, right. And these people are evil. Yeah. But before that, you're really lured into... You know, I can trust these people. I can yeah. trust the people around them. Yes, there's some weird things happening, but uh, y- you know, like you had said, there's there's not this element of pressing danger until you realize. Now, when you watch this movie again, you really feel it. Yeah. But the first time, it's just it's not there, mm-hmm. uh, and and the movie does really well with that. Yeah, I think it it does a good job with making. Uh, it's just the music and everything is so like I still don't think I would get that feeling yeah. as much as some other film because it, it's just it's such an like counterpoint to like the idea of like there's this community that it's just like you I can't get past that <laughs> there's some elements in this film where I wouldn't I don't think I'd ever feel a threat yeah. I don't know maybe it at least doesn't have bear heads and bees and Nicholas Cage. Doesn't oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> I was gonna say, well, Midsummer has bear. Well yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, no. I just meant 
I wonder. Man, that's fun. I almost wanted to rewatch that one. Yeah. Just to not I think it maybe it's good now, but just to compare to this, like what they changed. Because I, I know there's a lot, but they they tried to inject that sense of madness and danger into it. Uh huh. And I think they missed the point that in the original film, those things aren't pursued just so you as the audience are, are lulled into this sense of security with him. Right. Uh, and I think that's an important element of this movie I, working. I agree. And the Nicolas Cage film did the exact opposite. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, let's really creep you out by these people. Right. And and really clue you into the fact that this guy's in danger. Mm-hmm. And, well, that plus all of the the cheese and every other terrible decision that's in that movie. <laughs> it's so bad. And Nicolas Cage is being Nicolas Cage. He really is. Yeah. The bees. <laughs> so... <laughs> Anyway, so uh, underwater, generic, you know, sure, if you want to drop four bucks, drop it. Uh, Wendy is the one to watch. Wendy is is inventive and imaginative. And, uh, you know, who cares what critics say? Uh, support art because it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> art is beautiful. Art is you, beautiful. Heard it, you heard it here first from Ken. <laughs> <laughs> and the original Wicker Man, uh, worth checking out. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little a blast. weirdly delightful little blast from the past. Yeah. yeah. All, All right. right, you ready to see what Cinetron gives us this week? Okay. Let's spin that thing. Cinetron has a thing going on right now. <laughs> okay. Tammy and the T-Rex. Oh, no, Clint. No. I have to admit, I started watching this film one night. I think we're going to have fun with it. Okay. Yeah. You sure? Yes. I can't handle another Velocipaster. It's not. No. This is like 80s cheese horror. Intentional 80s yeah. cheese horror? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's well, actually the 90s. Okay. But it's just like. Blatantly, a wait. 90s. Is this an old movie or is it a new movie? No, it's from the, the 90s. Of, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, it's from the 90s. I've never yeah. heard of this. Though. It's got a young um, Paul Walker. Really? Yes, all and right. he's so like baby faced in it. It's kind of endearing. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. All right, that gives me slight more hope than Velocipaster. Oh yeah, this is like blatant, like just uh, uh, I don't know. It's very sincere in Tammy its 90s. And the T Rex. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. I'm up for this adventure. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode 25 of Cinebabble. As always, you can find us at www.cinebabblecast.com uh, or anywhere else on the interwebs. Uh, join us. Follow us. Uh, we'll sacrifice you in a giant wicker creation. It'll be wonderful. And You uh, bring your own twigs. So we don't have enough to yep, build it. Absolutely. Don't forget to pay it forward. And... <laughs> Haley Joel Osment, this Cinebabble episode. Just, just leave Kevin space. Send out. it into the ether and let let people let people listen. It'd be a good time. Yeah. Be a good time. Hope everyone's surviving this. Hope pandemic. everyone's surviving. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Watch some movies. Watch some movies, because what else you got to do? Yeah. All right. 
Uh, have a good one. Bye.